When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. No Hayden Grove today. Um, he is off, but we brought in another guest as we get you all set for the Cavs season. They've had media day. They've had a couple of days of practice. So it is Chris Fedor joined today by Nate Duncan from the Dunked On podcast. You can follow his great NBA stuff on Twitter as well. It's at Nate Duncan NBA. I was a guest on his podcast recently to preview the Cavs season. And then he said that he would return the favor, and here he is. What's going on, Nate? Excited to talk Cavs. So one hour of discussion is not nearly enough for this intriguing team by any means. Is that how you would describe them, intriguing? Yeah, I think so, uh, because uh, there's they're inexperienced. They took a big leap last year. Yep. The last two years, when they've been healthy, they've been objectively one of the best teams in the NBA, but then they had this huge disconnect between how they played in the regular season and what took place against the New York Knicks. And so, and then they have a couple of players that I've always found fascinating, Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley with their development and trying to figure out exactly how valuable they are. So, and then of course you've got the new pieces that they've brought in and I want to see how that's going to work. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about, Nate, obviously, when it comes to the Cavs. But but you brought something up that I think is fascinating. The disconnect between the regular season Cavs and the postseason Cavs. Because in the regular season, they won 51 games. They captured the fourth seed, home court advantage in the first round, first round playoff appearance without LeBron James um, in 25 years. And they were one of three teams to be both top 10 in offense and defense. But... The first round playoff series against the Knicks, as Donovan Mitchell said the other day, the Cavs sucked. So <laughs> why do you think there was such a huge disconnect between what we saw from this group in the regular season and then what we saw from the Cavs in in the non-competitive series against the Knicks? Yeah, I think probably the place to start with that is just and the league has acknowledged this with their new resting policies that have gotten a lot of uh, attention that there's probably never been more of a disconnect between regular season basketball mm -hmm. and playoff basketball than existed maybe the last two seasons or so. So it just, it is just by its nature, somewhat of a different animal. You have a, a lot of qualities in the regular season when you know what are some of the characteristics of the regular season not that much preparation time and you know it's just an absolute grind so staying healthy being young like those those are big advantages and then also like really having a system in place that you can execute that you've practiced that is going to work against most opponents uh, who aren't as prepared for you is a huge advantage and then versatility isn't necessarily as important because there isn't as much time for either you or your opponent to change up what you're doing 
right. and have to adjust on the fly in the playoffs somewhat the opposite right like veteran teams tend to do better because they're smarter they can adjust more they've seen more they know personnel better uh they're they've primed their bodies in theory mm-hmm. for the entire season uh and you know now the knicks don't necessarily fall into that category but this is just generally in terms of the playoffs and you know the ability to do different things is so much more important and two-way play is so much mm-hmm. more important as well i i've sometimes i've made the statement that the playoffs or, or the regular season is about strengths and the playoffs is about weaknesses yeah and the Cavs had a lot of strengths but they also had a lot of weaknesses i remember having a conversation with a scout a number of years ago nate it was right around the time of the nba draft and he was mentioning that one of the players coming out to him and i don't want to say the player but to him was an 82 game player and not a 16 game player and that the Cavs would be better off looking for a 16 game player. And he also said that there are 16 game teams and 82 game teams. Do you think now that the Cavs went through that postseason experience against New York, saw what their flaws were on that particular stage, tried to address them this offseason, do you think they're better equipped to be a 16 game team now? We talked about this a little bit uh, on my pod that the Knicks are maybe not your typical playoff team where knocking heads, toughness, offensive rebounding, that they had like major advantages over the Cavs where I'm not sure that like your typical playoff team, you know, if they play like the Celtics this year, you know, they're they're not going to necessarily be at a disadvantage as much Mm -hmm. in those areas. But I, I think they, I mean, what were the things that killed them last year? Okay. The rebounding, you know, all right, they didn't, you can't really say that they got better there. Like that's just going to have to be internal improvement unless you can say, well, their on-ball defense is better and then they don't have to defend out on the floor as much and they can keep guys close to the rim. I don't know how much they improved there unless it's internal improvement from their on-ball defenders offensively so they can stay on the floor. But the other problem was when the other team put two on the ball and it was Evan Mobley trying to make a play four on three, it was an Isaac Okoro in the corner. It was someone that wasn't threatening. Uh, they didn't really have a lot of diversity to their offense. It's all just, you know, pick and roll with either Garland or Mitchell up top. And so now adding some shooters who are either going to space the floor better for those actions or that you can actually run some plays for. Like, I do think that that helps quite a bit. But then, you know, I think they address one thing, which is the shooting, but they weren't able to address their their on-ball defense particularly if you're going to have those shooters out there so i think they did as well as they could with the limited resources available and i think they should be better good enough we'll see the other thing that was a glaring weakness in that series against new york and it's hard to quantify right but it, it showed up every single time that they played you know in the moments where darius or donovan were off the court or the moments where evan jarrett were off the court the main starters for the Cavs and they had to turn and look for some bench production. It just wasn't consistent. Um, And the Cavs had the third worst bench in the NBA during the regular season. And it showed itself in the postseason as well. And I'm just wondering if, you know, taking Karis Levert out of the starting lineup, putting him with the second unit, putting Max Struess in the starting lineup, just like the trickle down effect that that can have with Karis being a key contributor to the second unit 
if that's going to lead to the Cavs getting a little bit more from their bench and then not being so reliant on their core four. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. You know, I think Karras, like they still, he still played plenty with the the bench group or, or, I mean, he was really kind of tasked to be their third perimeter creator a year ago. And Mm -hmm. quite frankly, he really hasn't been up to that on a consistent basis right in his in his career now can you say hey he's gonna have a lot more space around him so his job will just be easier that i you know i could get into a a little bit you know if they have you know particularly now if he's gonna play with niang at the four Mm -hmm. as opposed to you know a lamar stevens or or dean wade who just couldn't make shots last year and was hurt you want to say like the job will just be easier uh you know or even if it's like ty jerome is his point guard who can shoot it reasonably well. Yep. Yeah, that that I could buy a little bit more than, you know, I think he's old enough now that, like, he's going to have these games where he goes off. You know, I mean, that's what has been so tantalizing about his career, right. but he's never really been particularly close to the league average in true shooting. He's never been someone who really seemed to have a huge positive effect on his team uh, when he was on the floor offensively although i do give him a ton of credit for how he improved defensively on, under jb bickerstaff so that's you know i think as the third creator i would consider him a little bit underqualified hmm. uh, based on the totality of his career i think it's a fair point and it remains to be seen like if he can add that level of consistency to the second unit they're they're going to need that especially given the uncertainty of ricky rubio and his situation you brought up the offseason additions. The main ones, obviously, were Max Struess and George Niang, but the Cavs also brought in Ty Jerome and Damian Jones and Tristan Thompson to be that veteran leader, the guy who brings some toughness, some experience, a mouthy dude in the locker room, somebody who's going to say the hard things that maybe some other the young guys don't want to say. Who of the guys that they added this offseason, Nate, do you think is the best fit and will make the biggest impact for this team? Well, you have to say that it's Struess. I think he brings the most potential for two-way play. Now, mm-hmm. is he someone who's going to be your number one defender on the perimeter getting over screens or your number one isolation defender? No, but I think he defends really well within the team concept. You know, I don't I don't expect him to give them quite as much on the ball as Karis LeVert did last year as the starter or certainly uh, Isaac Okoro. So you could see them maybe taking a step back there, but you know, Struess has uh, fit in at a playoff level, not gotten taken advantage of. He's still going to have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen behind him. So if you're expecting him to, you know, be their primary point of attack defender, and you know, that does then beg the question of who that is in the starting lineup. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, if the plan is to start with, and that, that was actually a little surprising to me that it's like, oh, he's the no brainer starter <laughs> at small forward when you reported that. And that's what all the stuff out of camp has been saying. Uh, but, you know, it seems clear that they want to get better offensively and they're going to prioritize that and trust uh, Mobley and Allen to to do the work uh, on defense. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it is Max Struess and he, uh, you know, I talked about why this team is so intriguing, like him coming out of Miami, right? Like if he plays at the level that he played at, the last two playoffs and uh regular season in 22 that's actually a bargain deal for him but you know if he looks like he did in last regular season eh, you know it's like he's kind of more like a bench two, like 
and a lot of that just comes down to whether he's going to make shots uh, at the mm-hmm. level that he has at his best. After the Cavs lost against New York, Nate, the conversation here and kind of around the league was the Cavs have to shake things up. They've got to do something else to this roster. And a lot of people pointed the finger at Jared Allen. He made the comments about the lights being too bright. Um, He was obviously pushed around at times in that series against New York. He shouldered a lot of the blame for their rebounding issues, although a lot of those things, there were a lot of layers to those rebounding issues. But a lot of people said because Jarrett is the quote-unquote most expendable piece of their core four, um, that sending him away in a trade was their best path to fix some of their other weaknesses that showed up. They chose to go a different direction. They pointed to Miami and Denver, teams that were patient, teams that didn't overreact, teams that gave it a little bit more room to grow. Um, And Jared and Evan are going to be back anchoring the defense, but they're also going to be back, you know, creating some of the issues offensively that they have in past years. So do you think the pairing of Evan and Jared together Do you think that's viable long-term for the Cavs, or do you think eventually they need to consider moving Jared? Oof. Yeah, I I think you consider it. The big question to me, like Jared Allen is a good center. Like he Mm -hmm. he finishes around the rim. His touch around the basket is underrated with those short-range hooks. You know, he's got good mobility. He blocks shots, you know, as long as it's not, he's not the greatest in like incredibly physical matchups, but also like he's under contract for let's see what is it yeah it's uh three more years here uh, at 20 million that's a a good you know and, and i think he was over his head with that all-star selection two years right. ago and i think that that may almost do him a disservice in terms of the narrative of his career going forward like he's just not that level of, of player mm-hmm. but uh you know he's a really really good player and but he does what he does like he is what he is it's dabbled in the corner three now and again but that's just not going to be I think a a huge part of his game so really it comes down to me more about the development of Mobley Mm. and if Mobley can and it's not even necessarily about him being able to you know just stand out in the corner and space the floor but if he's Mobley is someone who can be a hub and uh, can set up Jared Allen and be effective in, in those four on threes coming downhill against like a Mitchell Robinson or something like that. And, you know, adding the shooting that they did. Uh, I think that if at least offensively, you're going to find out, I think this year, whether that pairing can work. Like, I think we talked about it. I don't know that I expect Mobley to like become some big three point shooter mm-hmm. this year necessarily, but they are going to have premium shooting at the other three positions. Right. And so that in theory should be enough, right? Like the, if, the pass to the corner is something the defense is really worried about. Now that four on three is a little bit uh, more bothersome. Maybe Mobley can add a floater coming downhill. Maybe he can also just you know, get a little more athletic, more aggressive, get to the line in those situations, et cetera, or just become a better passer to find Allen with whatever it ends up being. Um, so I, I think they've put enough around those guys, at least offensively. And this is Mobley's third year. I think we'll start to have an understanding of like what, his eventual outcome is even if you know he doesn't reach it like if he doesn't if he doesn't take any strides forward really in the shooting yep. this year I think you're you got to kind of be like all right you know our default assumption is he's not going to shoot it particularly well and maybe we need to start thinking of him more as a center so it really comes down to me 
to Mobley and his development. And, you know, Jared Allen is, would be at his best as like, you know, spread pick and roll center with a, a shooting four. Uh, but then the other thing too, is like, it works on defense and mm-hmm. quite frankly, it worked on defense, even against the Knicks and particularly with the first shot offense, like, you know, Evan Mobley completely shut down Julius Randle right. in that series. And they just couldn't get a rebound afterwards, but even without being able to get a rebound, they defended well enough to win that series. They just couldn't score. Yeah. So uh, I think like it is something that works. It works well in the regular season. And then finally, I know this has been a really long-winded answer, but you know, this is maybe an existential question for the Cavs. I think the, the last thing is like, okay, you want to break this, this group up? What, what is the alternative? Yeah. Then, right. Like, right. can you, you, no, you're not going to be able to trade Jared Allen for a near, you know, the, I, I rank Jared Allen as the 10th best center in the NBA, right? Like, okay. I don't think you can trade the 10th best center in the NBA, even if he is on a good contract for the 10th best small forward in the NBA, which right. is what they actually need. Right. And that's something that I continue to say to, to people that are pointing at, Jared Allen being the expendable piece. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But it's like his value compared to the value of the kind of player that you would want the Cavs to get that you think would be a significant addition to the Cavs. Jared Allen on his own isn't getting that kind of guy. Um, So it's like. Yeah. Or or if he is, that player is maybe coming to the end of his contract. Right. Right. Like maybe if you say. OG Ananobi, for example, yeah. right? Like, yeah, that would be would, the name. Would, yeah, yeah. Uh, and now the Raptors have Jakob Pertl, so they wouldn't be interested. But that was, that was you know, the Raptors would be interested in him, right? But like someone like that, like OG Ananobi is a more valuable player than Jared Allen just due to the scarcity of his position. Yeah. But he's coming to the end of his contract. So, and I guess the other thing too is like, if you had a draft pick to throw in with Jared Allen, right. now maybe you're getting somewhere, but of course they don't have that. Yeah. So you brought up Evan Mobley and... um his evolution and look like since he came into the NBA and even this training camp, you know, people around the organization are using lofty comparisons. Tristan Thompson is calling him Anthony Davis. Um, Greg Buckner, an assistant coach for JV Bickerstaff calls Evan Mobley HOF after every single workout that they do together. Chris Bosch has been used. They've had Evan watch tape of Dirk Nowitzki, Giannis, Anthony Davis, Kevin Garnett, like this superstar Hall of Fame type mashup. Like that's what the Cavs envision for Evan Mobley. I'm curious, Nate, what do you think is the ceiling of Evan Mobley? Defensively, I can't quite put him on that sort of like KG sort of level. But yeah, I mean, I think he just projects to be one of the top 10, maybe even the top five best defensive players in the NBA for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that that's really important. And, you know, he's got a lot of versatility, his mobility, shot blocking instincts, his ability to just stay on the floor and play a lot of minutes and not foul. I mean, those are incredible attributes. I don't see it with him at that level on the offensive end, though. <laughs> and and now, I mean, some of the stuff he does, I think he's is very underrated. And that defense is so good. Maybe he is like kind of a a lower end Hall of Famer just based on his defense. But, and again, I'm not precluding this, but when you think about the skill level, the dribbling, the shooting, you know, if you compare 
if you want to go back and look at highlights of Anthony Davis, highlights of Kevin Garnett in their first two seasons and compare yeah. that to the offensive highlights of Evan Mobley, he's just not on that level. To me. Right. So what level do you think he can get to? Yeah, I mean, that that's a really interesting question, right? Like, you know, I think, you know, maybe more of like an Al Horford type would mm-hmm. be something like uh, on the offensive end. But then, you know, I think Evan could be even better than Al Horford eventually. Al, Al Horford's like kind of close to a Hall of Fame level of player. I mean, he probably will make it when you consider his college stuff, but that's that's relevant to our discussion. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and Al, I think, you know, had a little bit more shooting talent. You know, he was a great mid-range shooter and then, you know, has become a, a very solid three-point shooter. We'll see if that's the case for Evan. But Evan has more size uh, and length. Um, but yeah, I don't think he quite has that like bounce on the offensive end, you know, like if you're, he'll get like quick pop-up dunks around the rim, but mm-hmm. there just aren't that many plays where he's just like going in and dunking on guys the, the way you would see for like a young AD or, or a young KG. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy who's going to be, my goal for him would be to get to be the second best offensive player on a good team. I don't know if he can get there. I think that him being the best offensive player is probably not realistic. If he get to be the second best, that would be a very good outcome to me for the Cavs. He said the other day, Nate, that his individual goals this year, and he's a team guy and it's all about championships and yeah. he, he wasn't bothered. Well, I mean, he was bothered by the fact that he didn't win rookie of the year. And he was, and he should have, he should have, by the way, that was ridiculous that he didn't in my mind. And he was using that as fuel in the off season, but he's such a team guy um, that, that that's where his mind goes first. But he was asked specifically, what are your individual goals this year? And he brought up winning defensive player of the year. He wants to win it this year. And he also said he wants to make the all-star team. Any chance in year three that he can be an all-star, do you think? Oh, well, I think like you and I have both predicted this is going to be a pretty damn good regular season team. Like the Cavs, uh, I mean, maybe now that uh, specifically Boston has gotten through holiday, maybe it'll be tough, but like, I, I think they could still be the number one seed. They definitely could be the number two seed very easily. And if with that narrative behind him, and I think also people understand defense more than they did right like if someone like jaron jackson jr can make the all-star team last year you know i, I think Moley can be i think it'll be a lot tied to team success and the way it usually will happen then because like he's not going to put up the offensive stats i i don't think mm-hmm. but the way it'll happen is like all right this team's really good and then people kind of dig down like number one they're like oh we got to reward this team anyway even if maybe you know they're doing it more with depth than a certain star there'll certainly be a little bit of an element of like oh is it him or Darius Garland, who's the better player. But, you know, Mitchell will kind of get the shine as the offensive guy, the big engine. Uh, it, I don't think that they'll take another small guard from Cleveland. I think if they're playing really well, and I think the Cavs will, you know, should be on track to be their usual top five defense. Uh, I think Mobley will get uh, some consideration. I think he'll probably deserve it. I, like defense is just, particularly again in the regular season, like that kind of defense is just exceedingly valuable. And the Cavs will be really good on that end. So I, I don't think that's unrealistic at all but it's not he's going to kind of need a little bit of a push for most voters i think it's more likely that i will consider him to be an all-star and and then that you know the majority of voters who kind of you know look at points per games and and stuff like that maybe a little bit more first 
The other thing that I look at, Nate, boy, is the front court loaded in the Eastern Conference. Bam, Embiid, Giannis, Jason Tatum listed as a front court player. It's just at some point it becomes simple math. And at some point, like you look at some of the guys that are blocking his path to getting that kind of recognition. And it's going to be tough to overtake some of them. Yeah, yeah, Chris Middleton maybe will be in there. I didn't um, even say Pascal Siakam. Yeah, Pascal, Jamar DeRozan. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those guys are going to be on teams that aren't going to be as good. You're right. Uh, as as the Cavs are. And also, like I said about Mobley, like his durability is huge. Like some of those guys are going to get injured. I don't think Mobley is. And yeah. So particularly like, you know, guys miss 15 games. If you miss your 15 games due to a, a you know, sprained ankle or a hamstring or something, mm-hmm in the first half of the season, then like you kind of don't get considered or whatever. So uh, I think, yeah, I think he's got a pretty decent chance. I, I think there's going to be a feeling if the cat, this is the thing, right? If the Cavs are like the two or three seed, particularly this is how the coaches think too. They'll think like, okay, well, we got to take two from this team because we just yeah. have to reward this team. And, you know, whether Evan would be deserving of that or not, I, I'm not sure. But I think like, you know, the coaches aren't like, okay, well, you know, this one guy got this team to 500. There's nobody else on the team. Let's take him over Evan Mobley, who, you know, yeah, he's been really good, but also there's four guys who are playing at close to or at an all-star level on this team, and mm-hmm. they still are just going to take, you know, whoever they perceive to be the second best of those guys. We will have plenty more coming up here with Nate Duncan from the Dunkdown podcast right after this, but with the Cavs in the midst of training camp, the regular season opener less than three weeks away, It's the perfect time to join my subtext and become a Cavs insider. What are you waiting for? $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. If you don't love the service, you can easily cancel. All you have to do is sign up, give it a try. News, analysis, information, behind-the-scenes nuggets that don't get posted to X. I mean, yesterday my subtexters got a glimpse into who was the last player on the court following practice. You want that kind of stuff sent right to your phone? It's those kinds of things. It's all there just waiting for you. You can also interact with me on a daily basis and have the first crack at getting a question answered in the weekly Hey Chris mailbag. What are you waiting for? $3.99 a month. It's less than a cup of coffee. All you have to do is click on the subscribe tab at the top of the cleveland.com slash Cavs landing page, or you can sign up by texting me, 216-208-4499. 216-208-4499. Join the group. Become a Cavs insider today. When I joined you on your podcast, it was before Dame went to Milwaukee. It was before Drew Holiday went to Boston. <laughs> and we were talking about the path for the Cavs to be the top team from the regular season in the Eastern Conference and that giving them a better chance of winning a first round playoff series, getting an easier matchup in round one of the playoffs um well now dame is with milwaukee (laughs) now now drew is with boston where do you think the Cavs stack up in the east now and like how much did those particular moves um change your view of their chances we're talking regular season or playoffs yeah i mean like it's such a weird conversation with the Cavs, right because i think everything with them is more measured based on what they do in the playoffs so i think we go that way yeah, I think a lot of that is uh, about matchups, and sure. you know, I think a fair number of these East teams, you can argue, like I think of Milwaukee and a Miami will probably punch above. 
their regular season weight mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Like my Milwaukee, I'm not sure they got that much better in the regular season because they did trade some of their depth. Uh, and I think Drew is probably a bet to play a little bit more than Dame was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the, the Chris Middleton seems like, yeah, you know, is he, he may be on kind of a restriction. Like, doesn't seem like he's quite ready to go yet, but he will be in the playoffs. And you know, we've seen Miami kind of exceed their regular season in the playoffs most of the last few years. Um, you know, we'll kind of see where Miami's at, right? Like, is this the year that Jimmy Butler just you know can't keep it going and Kyle Lowry you know, just uh, can't really be a starting point guard anymore? Like, that, that could easily happen to them. Um, but w- when you look at the matchups, uh, I think, you know, Miami and Boston are clearly ahead of, of the Cavs. There are a number of metrics I look at. I mean, we talked about some of them, the two-way play and the ability to kind of ramp up your minutes. Uh, one thing I think the Cavs do have is, you know, their best lineups can just play a lot more minutes in the playoffs. So that's that's pretty right. useful. You can get uh, Evan and Jarrett together more. Um, You know, you don't – well, I don't know. Actually, I, I'm not sure about this. Like, And they had a couple of good games against – they don't have like the one guy to guard Joel Embiid, but I I think it's more really becoming about having that secondary rim protector off the ball against the best centers and, and power forwards. Like same thing kind of maybe with Giannis mm-hmm. where you don't love the initial matchup for the Cavs, but they're always going to have another guy who can uh, be there if like that initial matchup gets overwhelmed. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Philly, I... I if they were whole with Harden, I would probably have to pick them over the Cavs. And even if not, they probably will get at least something for Harden, you'd think. Or it'll mean that Maxi is playing better and, and Embiid is a really tough matchup. But I, I could actually see the Cavs possibly being Philly, depending on where they're at. New York, eh, you know, I mean, I know they got killed by them last year. <laughs> I do think the additions would help there. I, I And I think they could just be better anyway. Like, I, I would consider that maybe a toss-up as of mm-hmm. now. You know, I think the Cavs will have a few more matchup advantages against them than they did last year. Miami is just such a chameleon who knows with them. And am I forgetting anyone here? I think that's all. I That's kind of like my top six, like yeah. obvious candidates in the East right now. Do you believe in Atlanta at all? Maybe a little bit more than some. Okay. Um, but no, I, I mean, I think I would have to favor the, the Cavs over Atlanta right now. Uh, but you know, Trey Young does pre- present some challenges to them, at, mm-hmm. as we saw uh, two years ago, though, again, the Cats weren't close to healthy and didn't have Donovan Mitchell uh, in that yeah. game either. So given all that, what would success be for the Cavs this season? I think winning a playoff series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think if you do that, and then I know you see, this is such a tough question really for any team. Um, and I mean, this goes back to sort of the, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit of Donovan Mitchell and his future, but like, this goes back to like what you're even attempting to accomplish as owning a sports team, what you as a fan want, right? Like, are, are you, if the Cleveland Cavaliers are in contention for a top four seed in the East every year for the next five years, and you know, they're kind of losing in the second round. Like, is that, is that considered a successful stretch? Mm. You know, maybe at first, then, you know, at some point, maybe it gets broken up, like kind of uh, Utah Jazz style. Um, but I, I think to me, like a realistic step, like they're not, I don't, they just don't have as much talent right now as Milwaukee or Boston. I mean, the Cavs best player 
and there's another thing, maybe Mitchell can take a step forward, but it's tough for a 6-1 guard to do this historically. But, you know, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, and all those guys, I mean, the Cavs' best player isn't as good as those those guys. Mm-hmm. So they And then if you're asking them to be more than the sum of their parts, I think they can do that on defense, but they're still kind of missing that one last two-way guy at the three that I think you could say, okay, yeah, we don't have the best player, but just this whole unit works together and fits together just so incredibly well that we're going to beat you anyway. You mentioned Max Struess and how surprised you were um, on your podcast when I was like, oh yeah, he's, he's going to start without a question. Um, do you think it'll work with Max as the starting small forward for the Cavs? Yeah, I guess I shouldn't have been as surprised as I was considering <laughs> he came there in free agency and they probably to seal the deal in addition to paying him more than the mid-level which they did through yeah. the, the uh the machinations of the uh the sign and trade which was good work by the the front office they probably to seal the deal they probably told him that right um you know will he be the starter all year like if he doesn't make shots i don't think he will be right like he's gonna have to shoot it the way that we hope that he can um you know work me i guess when your your standard for work is basically like they just keep him in the starting lineup all year right that's kind of what you're saying that they're just they don't start looking at other options i think also that it's a successful lineup for them i think that's my definition of work that like they get out of max what they envision getting out of him when they went out and made him their number one target number one priority in free agency yeah, well, I, I mean, that lineup better kick ass, but I think it it will because you've got those other four guys, right? It'd be pretty <laughs> tough to, I mean, and when you consider that they've been successful even with, you know, the likes of Isaac Okoro uh, with that group. Yeah. That's like, I mean, Struis should be an upgrade there. Now, I think there'll just be times when, you know, if the other team has like a great on-ball guy, you know, maybe, maybe they just kind of struggle to match up a little bit. Uh, but you still, like I mentioned, have the, those two guys. And maybe at least at the, you know, there may be some times when JB feels like he has to just get a better defensive player on the floor at the end of games or something like that. But no, I, I mean, I expect that group to be more successful than, or at least as successful as the groups that they've had. And, and particularly offensively, I, I'm a, a Max Truce believer. I can't say I know for sure how mm-hmm. well he's going to play, but I thought, you know, I mean, when you compare some of the contracts that have been handed out, to two guards that I think Max Strus, at least in the playoffs, has played as well or better than, you know, again, I think of that as kind of a bark. I think he's a solid starting two, uh, but, you know, he's playing the three, <laughs> which makes things a little, a little bit different. I actually asked him yesterday, I said, any difference for you playing the two or the three? And he just shook his head. He said, no, not at <laughs> all. But we'll see. I mean, it's different. The guys that he's going to be matched up against, the guys he's going to have to guard, um i think it's going to be a little bit different for him so we'll see yeah and and i think he adds some toughness as well you know he'll box out he'll take charges you know that's so i I think you know and if it's like a strength issue i think he can hold up okay there it's just like all right like he's if he's guarding like the best player like he didn't have to do that in miami right like that's Mm -hmm. that's a big big change uh but you know like i said like against a lot of teams that you can have defensive versatility with uh, Allen or Mobley maybe helping him out at the point of the attack and you still have the other one back there so uh, like p- putting those guys behind you erases a lot of sin so I, I think it'll 
it'll work to the extent that like I, I expect it to probably be what they go with to start mm. and then maybe they'll just have to be sometimes at the end of games though where they get another defensive player on the floor speaking of Mobley the combination of Max Struess and Evan Mobley to me is pretty intriguing and Max yep. has already gone to Evan and he has given him clips of Max and Bam Adebayo from the Miami days the DHO oh, yeah. how to handle pick and rolls and Max had the Cavs video people cut up those clips and send them to Evan. And Evan's been studying clips of Bam Adebayo and how to get that chemistry and where Max likes the ball and how to play off one another. And I think that is going to provide a different element to the Cavs offense that is a little bit needed because, as you mentioned, they were so reliant on pick and roll last year. Yeah, I mean, Bam might be the most similar player in the league to Mobley in terms of his defensive versatility and but also you know his ability to be a help defender you know a little different body types obviously and Mobley mm-hmm. I think his best attribute probably offensively right now is his passing so that makes a lot of sense yeah um the other thing I think is interesting when when coming into this year is the Cavs don't have a lot of clarity at this point, Nate, on what they're going to do at backup point guard because of the Ricky Rubio situation. But you're a guy on the West Coast. You watch a ton of NBA basketball as much as any one person can watch. Um, give me <laughs> your give me your scouting report on Ty Jerome. Do you think he's ready for that level of responsibility if that's what the Cavs have to do? I mean, they signed him for a reason. Yeah, I, I think that he particularly because there's a backup point guard, but I would imagine he's going to play most of his minutes with Mitchell or Garland. Would you you agree with that? Yes, I think so. So now if one of those guys is hurt, maybe it's a little bit different, but then he's also with Levert who at least can kind of sop up some possessions as well. So Jerome, uh, he'll defend within the team concept, but he's definitely under athletic in that regard. Uh, you know, you got to kind of hide him in individual matchups defensively, but he can pass and shoot. You know, he's not that fast. He's not going to like get to the rim and score, but if he's left open, he'll fire it. Like he's pretty aggressive with his three pointer, which is something that they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think offensively, you know, is he some like premium option? No, but he can shoot and he can pass. And, you know, is he the guy you want, like, he's kind of vulnerable to pressure, bring the ball up to, you know, so like the, the lack of athleticism is definitely an issue, but, you know, he can dribble fine. Uh, he's got decent size to get his shot off uh, and, you know, maybe to defend a bigger players to some degree if he needs to. And yeah, I, I just, I like his fit because he can handle, but he can also play off the ball, which he can shoot it, you know, the list of backup point guards who can play well off the ball is actually shorter than you think it is. Mm. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, he's not premium at any one thing, but when you consider that they paid him $2.5 million, uh, you know, like that's, that's pretty good. And, you know, they didn't know necessarily, I don't think that Ricky was going to be unavailable at that time. So as a third point guard, particularly next to a Mitchell or a Garland, a, a very solid option mm-hmm. to me for the resources that they had to invest there. And I think you brought up another good point just when it comes to Jai Jerome and the Cavs roster makeup too, Nate. It's that they can stagger Darius and Donovan 
um, and they can try and find a way to keep one of those on the court at all times or pretty close to at all times. That was a plan that they had going into last year. And obviously, like different things affected that. But if they need Donovan to run the second unit or they need Darius to run the second unit, the way to do that, obviously, is stagger them. And one of them can just act as the de facto point guard. And that works well enough, I think, based on their other options. Yeah, absolutely. And you do need to have two ball handlers on the floor and Jerome fills that role. We just talked about Donovan Mitchell. Um, Nate, his future has been a nonstop talking point in the NBA, in Cleveland. He said the other day at Media Day he will not be signing a contract extension this offseason. It certainly doesn't make financial sense for him to sign one right now. And that's something that Giannis pointed out as well when he was asked that question. So financially, this is the right move for Donovan, you would think. But because he won't sign an extension right now, it just leads to more speculation about his future, whether he wants to stay in Cleveland long term. What do you think the future holds for Donovan Mitchell? Oh, it's a, such a difficult question. Uh, you know, there's been the flirtation with New York. That seems mm-hmm. a little bit less viable now because they have Jalen Brunson, who's on a better contract and oh, not under contract for any longer, really, uh, than Donovan Mitchell is. Uh, but you know, that pairing is not amazing. Uh, you know, Mitchell is an interesting fit in a lot of places. Like the Cavs gave up a lot to get him. I don't know that I would consider that to be a bad trade. Like I think if I had it to do over again and I knew if, if they could have gotten the season that they got, that the jazz got from Lowry marketing last year, I would have not made that trade, but that was never going to happen in Cleveland. They had no way of knowing that was going to happen. I certainly had no way of knowing that that was going to happen. <laughs> so, uh, but Mitchell, he's a little bit of a tough fit, right? Like, because, you know, he plays some point guard, but he's not a natural point guard. He really is a two. And to have an undersized two like that, like, you got to either, you know, are you going to get, like, late career Jason Kidd to play next to him? Like, because, like, Mitchell's at the two, we talked about, okay, it's so hard to find a three to go next to him. But, like, he can't really guard the ball particularly well. He made some strides, but that's not been his strength is. He's playing next to Darius Garland. That's a really good combination. Uh, I'm not sure how viable it is on a lot of teams to play him next to another small guard. We saw in Utah that that was a big problem. Mm-hmm. And the Cavs are, in some ways, uniquely positioned to play him next to another small guard because they have the combination of Allen and Mobley behind them. And that's why I'm so curious to see how that all works in the playoffs. And so, so I guess that's kind of my way of saying, like, you know, is there really a better basketball situation for Donovan Mitchell where he's going to be more likely to win a championship than in Cleveland, but also mm-hmm. more likely to you know, really be able to spread his wings and be the number one guy as well, which I think offensively, certainly he's always going to be in Cleveland. Like, does he want to join another team where he's the number two? Can he join another team and be the smallest guard? Uh, those are all kind of questions uh, to me. Like he's been tied to New York a lot. Uh, it's unfortunate, you know, this is supposedly a, a rule put in to help small market teams while it's hurting the Cavs that he can't sign the designated player veteran extension here and get the most money because he was traded uh, after uh, his first contract. You know, those 
predatory Cleveland Cavaliers just uh, denuding these small market teams like Utah of their assets, right? Like that's what that rule is supposed to supposed to provide uh, uh, prevent. Um. So yeah, I mean, if he does get all the way to free agency, the Cavs can offer him a lot more money. Um, it is correct right now that it doesn't make financial sense for him to sign the extension, and he can only do so before the start of the season anyway. So I think when you get to next offseason, just you're going to see like they probably got to think seriously about trading him if he won't sign the extension then. And there is, of course, some pressure to at least make Donovan feel as though they are continuing to advance that maybe, you know, they're not a championship contender this year, but that there is a path to get there in the future. So if he won't sign that extension next year, mm-hmm. then you got to think pretty seriously uh, about moving him. And I just, you know, I have no inside information and you're closer. I don't think you do either about how he feels uh, about Cleveland, but it is a fact that he did not choose Cleveland. And that I think is part of why there is some speculation like he, and that's how it should be. Like he, he, if he chose to go to Cleveland in free agency, then mm-hmm. you could think, all right, he probably wants to extend. Right. But there's no, real way of knowing that so that you it makes perfect sense that there is some convincing that needs to be done about this situation after two years if you had to bet on it does he stay (laughs) 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 well and there's so many variables that affect this outside of you know his happiness because Okay, the the question is, where else uh, would he go? And right, you know, and I don't know that he would. We've seen the, most of these guys who get traded at his level. The trend has been two years left on their deal, like right about now. Quite frankly, the Cavs are not going to do that. This he's only been here for one year. The thinking when they acquired him was like, okay, you know, if he if in two years they he doesn't want to stay, you can still trade and get something. Uh, and then also these picks that are far out, you're still going to have Evan Mobley, you're still going to have Darius Garland. And so, you know, you're not going to be too bad. It's not like that much to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to just think of like what the landing spot would be right. for him at that time where he would want to extend. Yes. And, and also, I mean, the other thing too is, okay, let's say he doesn't extend. Well, the Cavs can still offer him a five-year deal for the most money in the summer of 2025. That's right. And it would require, in theory, cap space, right? So maybe you get to a point where he doesn't extend and you feel like, hey, we, you know, we, we added some more to this team in the 24 offseason. And you know what? The offers aren't that good for him with a year left right. on his contract. And so... Then it's like, well, hey, you know what? Like, all right, you're going to offer us like two first round picks for them and and not really much else. Uh, if you're one of these other teams, like, no, nah, you know what? We'll just play it out here and we'll take our chances with them. Or maybe we wait until the deadline. You know, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think when there's a year left on the deal, maybe you think we'll just wait until the deadline then see how it's going. See if he'll, because he can sign that extension at any point during the season too. Right, right. Um, so if you really so what are we saying? We're saying he's on the team after you know to start the 25-26 season. That's what we're talking yes. about. Yes. Oh man, that's a long ass time from now. 
Um, I know. And so many things can change in the NBA from now until then. Yeah. I mean, much of it just depends on how well he himself plays too. So. Oof. I'm going to say, you know, 52% chance he's still here. (laughs) Okay. And here's the other thing that I'll say, Nate, and it's the same kind of conversation that I had when LeBron had an opportunity to either stay in Cleveland again or leave for somewhere else. And ultimately he left for Los Angeles. But the sense that I get from Donovan is that his decision when it comes is going to be some combination of basketball and personal, right? But like there has to, when you're talking about a guy who has not had the playoff success that he has wanted to have in his career and he's starting to get a certain reputation and he's talked about championships and he's talked about his love of winning and how much that matters to him. Basketball, I don't know if it's going to be the driving force, but there has to be enough basketball related reason for him to leave, right? And who knows what the NBA is going to look like a couple of years from now and what teams are going to be appealing at that point in time. But right now, Nate, if you're making a list of teams that you think are clear cut better than the Cavs, I can't imagine that list is all that long. Like there are some names, right? Milwaukee, Boston, Denver. Do you consider the Phoenix Suns clear cut better than the Cavs? Probably, right? Yeah, yeah. The Lakers? Yes, no? Uh, yeah, pro- I probably would. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I see your point, right? And then, you know, some of those teams are old. Some of those teams right. don't really have assets. So who is the team that would be a better basketball situation than the Cavs and also has the assets to go get him right. in a trade? And then I guess the next thing too is like, I've, I've predicted that at some point there's going to be a little bit of a return back to more movement happening in free agency with the cap going up with lots of these teams that are destinations, not really having the assets to trade for guys because they've already traded all these away. Right. uh, All their picks away. And so maybe that could be another thing where he just wants to actually go into free agency in 2025, or maybe he even says, you know, wherever I get traded, I'm not going to extend there. Like there, maybe there isn't necessarily that one destination he wants to go to, so that reduces his trade value so much that the Cavs just hold on to him. And it actually does go into free agency in 25. And then, you know, who's going to have space in 25, you know, like could LeBron James retires, could the Lakers have space and, mm. and be interested in him at that point, but they don't really have the assets to, to make a trade for him. That would be worth more to the Cavs than just making another run at it in the 24, 25 season. I could see that happening too, but it's really, you know, ultimately it just goes to like what, he truly values yeah and I, I do think it's gonna be it's gonna be hard for the Cavs to be like so good this year right. that it's like okay no brainer it's obvious that he's gonna sign the extensions um you know and then like maybe he suffers a little bit of injury maybe he feels yeah. like he just wants to lock in that money it's just it's really it's so hard to know because I don't know him personally with that Nate, great stuff, man. I appreciate you uh, jumping on the podcast. Again, you can check out Nate Duncan from the Dunk Don podcast. His podcast is great. He has guests all the time. Um, you can also follow his great NBA stuff on Twitter. It's at Nate Duncan NBA. Yeah, no, this is great. I always love talking cows with you.